is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Tanev at his own line. Turned it over. Here's Suter. Down the right wing. Left circle. Garland. He scores! Connor Garland set up by Pew Suter on a nice shot for the left circle. And the Canucks tie the game at one. Now it heads back into the slot. Settling. Ely Tolvanen gets it. Shoots. He scores! Tolvanen fires it top shelf past Thatcher Demko from the high slot on the secondary opportunity. With the instant reaction from the players and coaches. Here come the Kraken into the Vancouver zone. Pass to the right circle. Tolvanen scores! Ellie Tolvanen with his second of the third period extends the lead for Seattle. It's 3-1. On the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks remain winless in the preseason. A third straight exhibition loss, this time in Seattle, against the Kraken. A 3-1 defeat. And this is the Canucks Central postgame show. Satyar Shaw with Vic Nazar on Sportsnet 650. Can you get your thoughts into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650? We are going to connect with our good friend, color analyst for the Canucks broadcast, Randy Janda, coming up in just a few moments' time. But I will say... It's preseason and whatever, and we, we talked about how they needed to not lose 10 nothing, and we set the bar that low with a 10 nothing performance. I guess losing 3-1 in Seattle is like whatever. But considering the Canucks were down in that, in that third period, and you're still trying to build habits, you're trying to you know be a team that's competitive and all that, they really went meekly into the night. Like I'm not saying they gave up they didn't at all, but for a team that needed to generate something late in the game, mm-hmm. they had nothing. Absolutely nothing. It was 14 minutes, 15 minutes into the period till they got their first shot. Yeah, and the only time they got a couple of real chances was after they went down 3-1. It was Miller had a net front chance, and then once they pulled the goalie, Hironic had a blast that missed the net and a couple of opportunities. But outside of that little flurry when they were down 3-1 in the dying minutes and seconds of the game, they did nothing in that third period. Yeah, uh, really, really... Uh dispiriting uh, offensive creation. Now, it it was kind of a trend in the whole game because if it wasn't Hronik and Ian Cole on the ice, uh, they really struggled to move the puck out of the zone. So if you're struggling to move the puck out of the zone, where are the offensive chances going to come from, right? You have to be able to secure the puck, manage it well in your own end. And it was a tough night for uh, the non-Hronik and Cole demon. Um, you know, for someone that you know got puck moving ability, I thought Will Landon was kind of fighting the puck all evening. Noah Juleson, uh nothing overly uh, to write home about. And you know, Breeze Ball, we'll talk about a, a goal against here in a bit. But I, I just thought in general, the, the other 4D men really struggled. We're going to talk about that camp battle yeah. uh, in a bit. But it, it was uh, a tough watch sometimes for the other 4D men. Yeah, I think that's one of my main takeaways, our main takeaways. We'll get to, the, to, to that coming up in a moment. But let's go and connect with our good friend, Randy Jana, calling the game alongside Brendan Batchelor. And, you know, we made no bones about the fact that we had a real makeshift setup uh, to be able to watch this game. You guys calling the game, us watching it, to be able to analyze it the best we could you guys sounded great i would say you and batch randy good job on the call and in terms of what you saw uh, are you as down on that performance especially in the third especially considering how this team wants to set a new standard for effort and how they play and now three straight preseason games they've pretty you know clearly been the second best team in pretty much every category outside of a, a little bit against edmonton yeah, you understand that, you know, there's got to be a ramp up, right? Um, that's a part of the preseason. I get that. In that first period, you could see it. You know, the Seattle Kraken were much better. Uh, they they were 
you know, taking the game to the Canucks. But in that second period, and I know Bick is a huge fan of low event hockey, mm-hmm. based on my experience of hosting with you in the past as well. But like that second period kind of goes to script where you're saying you didn't give up much, you didn't create much, but you got a goal. So if anything, it leads into a, a third period maybe where the team kind of leans into it a little bit. I understand it's the preseason, but I'm with you. When you go about 13, 14 minutes with a shot on goal, guys, uh, it was something that you'd expect a little bit more from especially the top line. And I know in the final two or three minutes when JT Miller and Besser and DiGiuseppe get a little bit more ice, they start to create. But at that point, Seattle's taking it easy anyway. So, you know, you want to see your big dogs in moments like that, even though it's preseason, just kind of have a little bit more of a consistent effort. So I think Rick Tockett's comments tonight will be will be interesting because for the majority of that game, yeah, Seattle was, not for the majority, the entire game, Seattle looked pretty comfortable. It got chippy in the first period, guys, but outside of that, uh, Seattle looked like they were in control and the underlying numbers back that up and so does the score. Yeah, the, the interesting thing for me is um, just the puck-moving ability just was yep. not there f- mm-hmm. tonight. And, you know, as we're keeping an eye on, on some guys who are going to be playing for six, seven spots here, you know, it, it, it almost feels like default. And, you know, honestly, I think he actually, uh, the, the puck moving may not have been there, but Matt Irwin had four hits and six block shots tonight. And, and it, it does feel like he's the one that's kind of there to try to be topped. And, and right now, uh, not enough players trying to make a claim for that spot. No, and I think for, you know, heading into this game, Christian Olanen was pretty high on my list. I thought he had a, yeah. uh, you know, a good camp. He's, you know, when he's played, he's, he's looked pretty comfortable. But even in the opening, I'd say one to maybe five minutes, there's two plays at the defensive blue line where uh, he was just off. He couldn't move the puck. And a couple of them led to, one led to a penalty, uh, which was Pod Colson's penalty. Mm-hmm. And then another one after that. So you could tell he was not comfortable right off the bat, which is something that, you know, Willannon's been pretty good at that. Uh, overall, though, you're right. I think Ian Cole and Philip Ronick, if you watch both of those guys play tonight, you're saying, all right, you know, the Canucks are in, in very good hands when it comes to that second pairing, if that's the way that they build it out. But it does show you on a night-to-night basis, and we saw this last year a bit, when Quinn Hughes is not on the ice, you know, moving the puck up the ice, is is very difficult, whether it's skating out of trouble, whether it's making that first pass. And Hironic can do that. But, you know, if you're trying to score points as one of the other defensemen, righty or lefty, I think it was a pretty difficult night for all of those guys because for most of the evening, you know, you could see Seattle basically just camping out in the Canucks zone. So I'd like to see a little bit more from those guys on Saturday night, depending on who's playing that game. You'd expect a, a pretty NHL-ready team from the Canucks on home ice. But I think Tockett's selection of the lineup that night is going to tell us something where he, he who, you know, who is that clubhouse leader when it comes to those, you know, six, seven spots for for this team? Yeah, I mean, I would say you can make the point that some of these guys played yesterday and, you know, they, they might fare better in different situations. But at the same time, one of the things that I, I'm discouraged by a little bit as Seattle played with a lot of speed. They played with a good forecheck and the Canucks defenders had a real hard time handling that. I think that was far more telling in terms of what a regular season, early season situation would be like outside. I mean, compared to how Edmonton played, Edmonton played a strong game, but it wasn't like Connor McDavid and Dreisaitl were driving every play, trying to make sure they, they end every single sequence with creating scoring chances. They didn't quite have that level of get up. So it wasn't like they were dominating to the level they can. I thought Seattle played with a lot of energy and, and 
I think it's a pretty good barometer to, to evaluate these D-men. And I think as much as Wolana looked okay yesterday against Edmonton, he really looked like he was under siege a lot in this game. And I think it's a bit of a concern. I see people mentioning Cole McWard and even Akito Hirose. I mean, maybe they have to give those guys a bigger leash, but I don't think they had imagined they would really be considering to have those guys in the opening lineup when we started training camp in the preseason. Yeah, ideally, you bring in these veterans, and I would say, well, Anna is one of those players, even though he was AHL Defenseman of the Year. At the NHL level, he is still unproven, right? Otherwise, he'd be an NHLer. Um, it's the right call to give them a try and give them an opportunity, but they have to take it, right? You just can't, you can't run with it. And Matt Irwin, to his credit, whether you know whether you think this is a good move or not, he did play near 60 games in the NHL last year, right? So this is a guy that was playing every given or almost a, a lot of nights. So to the conversation a little bit earlier of who do you feel more comfortable with? Listen, McWard, I think, is going to be... He surprised me this year. I thought, you know, last year, like any young player, when you compare him to Akito Hirose, it felt like McWard was a little bit, you know, obviously being younger, but he had a little bit more deer in headlights last year, whereas Hirose was just, you know, cool, collected. He was calm. He was ready to go. It was... This year, you're starting to see a little bit more confidence from McWard, but are they are they at that NHL level? I don't, you know. Ideally, you want these guys to play at the AHL, and if later on in the year they put themselves in a conversation to be called up, and you have injuries and they can prove themselves, that's ideal. But this is where the, you know Irwin, Wolanin. I look at these guys. Uh, Noah Juleson, another player that I know he plays on the other side, but that's a guy that you want to be a physical. You want. You know, the opposition with their head on a swivel when he's on the ice because, sure, he might not be the, the smoothest puck handler, but can he gel with one of your other defensemen, whether that's a Quinn Hughes or somebody else on the left-hand side? I want to see one of those three guys to really stake a claim here, and we haven't necessarily seen that from, you know, three defensemen, the veteran defensemen here. We, we spoke a lot about structure and the Canucks being cleaner on their breakouts and being able to do a lot better in transition. And we mentioned how coaching and all that's going to help in a big, big way. And we saw some positives against Edmonton, of course. Was this a case tonight where the players, A, don't understand the details, didn't execute the details? Or are they just not capable for the most part outside of Heronic and Cole, who did have strong nights generally? Are they just not able to handle that type of pressure and speed? Or is it still not figuring out how to play within the structure and break out properly? Yeah, I'm optimistic on a lot of these guys, but I think we do have to understand that the quality of defensemen in, you know, especially last game, last night against Edmonton, and, you know, Quinn Hughes makes a great plan, Zach Hyman in transition, basically angles him towards the Edmonton bench and just takes the puck off him. Carson Soucy utilizing that long stick, and even though he's dealing with Connor McDavid, just does a great job of, you know, making the right play at the right time. So I think it does, you know, the system and getting those details right is important, but these are higher quality defensemen, right? Philip Ronick, Ian Cole, they've been there for a number of years. Um, expecting guys that are, and even I would throw Tyler Myers in that conversation too. Yes, it can be ca- rather chaotic when Tyler is sometimes on the ice, but at the same time, we've seen him make good defensive plays. We've seen him in the playoffs play a physical style um, and, at times, of course, you know, make a key play in transition. The six and seven defensemen that we're talking about here, they haven't really shown that. So to me, details absolutely matter. But I think there is a difference in the the quality of defensemen we're talking about right now. And some of these guys, you know, have been uh, AHL slash NHL defensemen. They are AHL players that have, you know, gotten 
a certain amount of NHL games, uh, and other guys are trying to establish themselves as hockey pros, so they're not quite at the NHL level yet. Uh, but this is where you know you're going to probably need a couple of different guys uh, to play that role for you, and and it might be a little bit difficult early on as you try to find out okay who can play to that level, who can gel with your your third pairing defenseman, or maybe potentially you know with Quinn Hughes. So to me, it's not necessarily. Details obviously have to to do with it. You know, the really good players are are that much better at details, guys. But I think there is a a difference in quality when we're talking about some of those guys I mentioned before that do those things really well versus the guys that are trying to really etch their claim um, here in this lineup. When you struggle to move the puck out of your own end and don't create enough uh, in the other end, uh, it means uh, there's chances in your end. Mm-hmm. So we get a good look at uh, the goaltending and our first yep. viewing of Thatcher Demko this year. Uh, I thought... Uh Fairly good, considering the environment. Especially early on in this game, you know, a lot of those chances five on five coming right down the middle. And mm-hmm. considering he only allowed one goal, even though the Canucks, for the most part, what I think the high danger chances were five one in the first period, um, five on five, and really the the rink was tilted. Uh, I think Thatcher Demko did a great job, very much similar to to what Casey DeSmith did yesterday. So from a goaltending perspective. If you can get efforts like that from both of these guys and you expect Demko to even be better, he's going to steal you games. You don't want to rely on that, but he's capable of doing it, so you don't say no to it. Um, you know, good start for Thatcher. The question is, how many more games does he get here? I would expect, if I was guessing, that he plays, you know, probably on Saturday night, but we'll see. Uh, but I would expect him to get probably one more game here, if not, uh, if not more, but... You know, I like the way he played tonight, and I think with Thatcher, the more reps you can get him a little bit here, another game, uh, it's going to serve him well. And he's got a capable backup behind him this year too, right? There's not questions necessarily about uh, Casey DeSmith and whether he can do the job. Um, in a lot of ways, you think Casey DeSmith may be able to do the job that Yaroslav Halak was supposed to do here in Vancouver, where it's just, hey, get your points, give you wins, uh, pick up a point, pick up a loser point every now and then as well. Uh, so I think from a goaltending perspective, the Canucks are in a pretty good spot here, guys. Yeah, this should be fine goaltending-wise. I don't think uh, there are any, any real big concerns. It's in the that. environment, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think the environment, you know, it wasn't like it was egregious mistake after egregious mistake, but there were enough bad mistakes tonight where you're kind of like, yeah, that's not playing clean. I mean, on the third goal, Will Lannan just throws it up the middle and, uh, and Tolvin scores the second goal, right? They have the breakdown on the first one where Sasson doesn't make a play along the boards, create space, put Coles and goes swimming. Next thing you yep. know, it's one nothing. You know, so there, there was a couple of sequences there where mistakes happened that led to goals but it wasn't like it was it was mistake after mistake but at the same time you have to be able to dictate and we saw that at times at least with Hughes on the ice last night we saw it at times with Pedersen on the ice last night with Kuzmenko that was really missing from that JT Miller line and one of the keys to the game we mentioned was can the Canucks be able to dictate the same way with JT being the focal point and having Hironik and Cole as your as your D in in, in comparison to having Quinn Hughes last night and I think Cole and Hironik, like we mentioned, I think they had strong nights. But it, it was rather underwhelming from JT, Miller, PDG, and Brock Bester as well. It was, and you know, I think in the maybe the third period is where you started to see them pick it up a little bit late. We can say it's the final few minutes of the game. But, you know, I'm willing to give the guys uh, the benefit of the doubt here in game one of their preseason. There's rust. You can try to scrimmage and you can emulate game action. But, you know, game three for some of these Seattle players, uh, they're ramping it up here. And if this is your first game in the preseason, hey, if there's you're shaking off some rust, it's not a good game. I'm willing to see that, you know, but I'm not going to over necessarily overreact. But were they underwhelming? Absolutely, right? Like, there was not much speed on that line. 
Um, it is a heavier line. JT, you could see in the second period, was trying to get physical with Riker Evans. He's trying to be aggressive on the forecheck. Um, didn't really work early on. Actually, they had a pretty good shift where they hemmed in the, the Seattle Kraken, but weren't able to get anything out of it. And then later on in the period, you could see some frustration. JT takes a penalty. Um, but, you know, overall, they weren't able to create too much. And uh, correct me like if I'm wrong, guys, but I felt like, especially early on in this game, it, he was hanging on to the puck a lot, which, you know, it wasn't moving very quick, right? Like it, the that line, it it the puck kind of died with JT in certain moments in the first period. So you know, if you you want to play fast, um, you're gonna have to release that puck a little bit quicker. And they were a little stagnant early on. But I'm willing to say, hey, preseason game one, you're shaking off that rust. Let's see how they do in the next one. Pro- pro- most probably against Edmonton, if not the one after that against the Kraken again. Yeah, we'll see. We have another preseason game coming up on Saturday. Randy, great stuff as always, my friend. And looking forward to seeing you in person soon. Cheers, boys. And before I sign off here, I want to uh, give somebody a shout-out. It's my cousin Jazz's wedding today, so I actually oh. ditched out of some of the festivities to call the game. So I want to say congratulations to Jazz and Michael. So uh, the, I'm sure they're listening on their wedding day, but at the very least, maybe somebody might tell them. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Go and enjoy the party. All right. See you later, guys. All right. Uh, that is Randy Janda calling the game alongside Brendan Bachelor tonight. Canucks lose 3-1 in Seattle against the Kraken. Remain winless in the preseason. Keep your thoughts coming in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. And to that point about the JT Miller line, Bick, in, sure, in terms of the, the um, shot differential, I mean, the only real two positive Canucks this year uh, tonight were what Hronik and... Um, uh, Cole. And Cole, really. I mean, a little bit there from Dakota Joshua had a strong night, but not a lot in terms of shot differential positives. But in terms of not allowing a lot of high danger chances against, you can be critical of the JT Miller line, but they weren't a disaster running around in their own zone, I think is a point you want to make. Yeah, it, again, just per natural stat trick, the, their line, uh, high danger chances against, it was 0 to 1. Uh, now, we talked about how do you generate and create. Yeah. It's obviously not there, and that's mm-hmm. a, a concern. And we mentioned those two plays in the second period where JT on the opening shift had some turnovers uh, and and gave the puck away, maybe either too ambitious or too inventive rather than just moving the play along. Right. They didn't result in anything, right? It's it's just blank turnovers. Uh, You know, the phrase I use a lot is empty players. They're they're silly mistakes, but they didn't result in in bad situations. But it, it just plays you want to clean up. But... Again, for me, I know some people texting in and be like, oh, they have to win. And for the veterans, it's just get back, catch up to game shape, yeah. work a little rust off, work on the timing. I'm, I'm not as concerned about JT Miller and Brock Besser. Obviously, I want to see them succeed. It feels nice, but it's kind of like a placebo effect. It's like, oh, they're fine now because they scored in preseason. No, I get that point. And, and it's not like they, they dogged it. It's true. Mm-hmm. But I think Leaf makes a good point on the text inbox. Other teams' preseason efforts are better than the Canucks efforts. It still says something. And that's been a trend. It's not as pronounced, obviously, outside the first game. But mm-hmm. the last game, it was a close game. Canucks fared fairly well, but ultimately were the second best team. Tonight, it was Probably pretty decisively that they were the second best team, and they want to make a point of being a team that out efforts the opposition. Sure. That is different now, has a different vibe to it. And I know that doesn't happen overnight, and that's not to say it's not going to happen either, but it's a point of we're still in that process of this team trying to attain what they're setting out to be. Rick Tockett has said the right thing, things about what they want to do and what they want to be as a team, and he, he makes your, I think, He's on the right track, I believe, in terms of his vision of what they need to do. 
can you get the players to execute that? And that's going to be something we're obviously going to have to determine as time goes on. But I think the point does remain. If effort's the standard and you're trying to set a new standard for it, it's still not good enough, even though it is the preseason. A lot of other thoughts in the text inbox as well, Bic, like this one here. The Canucks with and without Quinn Hughes are two entirely different teams. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they I, for one, am shocked. <laughs> They didn't have their two best skaters today, right? <laughs> yeah. It's it's part of the thing that uh, is is worth mentioning as well. Um, and I'll just kind of looking ahead uh, at the overall schedule across the NHL too. Uh, this one, Lincoln from Surrey. Uh, why does everyone else use the uh, it's preseason excuse? It's also preseason for Calgary, Edmonton, and Seattle. They look bad. The individuals look bad. It's all bad. This is a rough metric, and I'm not saying I've watched all 46 games of preseason so far. <laughs> right. But just kind of judging the results, there have been 12 road wins. Yeah. So so we're talking about 25%. Yeah. And a lot of those are OT and shootouts. So just the regulation wins, it's five wins. It's also fair to suggest, hey, let's see this team on home ice. Yes. We've only seen them on the road through preseason so far. It's true. And listen, it hasn't been good enough. It needs to be better. It's not a disaster yet. It's not at a, you know, like... A- hit the panic button be concerned right yet it's more about trying to hit the standards you're trying to set out here uh what else is popping on the text people are laying take markers right now i like it it's fine yeah. you know what it's early we're, we're all working through this uh this one uh mike and Kelowna in downtown Kelowna. all right we are done with watching uh dog crap play full lineups and let's get some momentum here i'm tired of this well again uh, again i'll say you're gonna get a better lineup uh Versus Edmonton on home on a Saturday. Yes. So yeah. game four and six, those are the lineups we're going to see. So it's right on cue to, to see the full lineup, Mike, uh, and, and for everyone else uh, texting in. Enough of looking at guys who aren't going to make the lineup. Put the team together and let's start the regular season. Some frustration in the inbox. People people want October 11th to get here. I get it, man. We're getting close enough. And, you know, we'll see a closer lineup on Saturday. And then the final preseason game, of course, coming up will also be one when you see a closer lineup. And it only matters in the regular season. But hopefully we see a bit more from the Canucks. This one from Grenour, and he says, I think maybe draft guru Jim Benning should have drafted Cole Caulfield instead of put Coles in. Love pods, though. Still wanted to be a beast for us. But, I mean... It's always tough to live up to your draft position to begin with, especially with players that get drafted around you. It's especially tough when you get drafted in the top 10, even if you're a good player, because there's always going to be a star that get draft- that gets drafted after you, if not multiple stars, that will make the selection look foolish in hindsight, or at least look like it's not as good as it could have been. And right now, guys like Cole Caulfield certainly make it look that way, right? It's not over for Put Colson. He's still a young player with a lot of positives in terms of what he can be down the road. But it's also true, Bick, that he's struggling mightily. We mentioned that coming into through training camp and in in the first preseason game, he didn't look all that great. Didn't look great again today. We mentioned the first goal, him assassin, Um, assassin especially. Put Colson gets caught in the middle. It's it's not even that bad, but it's more about you aren't able to effective positively still, and it looks bad when you're flailing around and you fall down on the ice. He wasn't really able to impact the game too much as the game went on. A couple battles here and there, but just not enough. Like, he's not going to be on the NHL roster to begin the season the way things are going. Oh, no. I'm hard-pressed to see that right now. Um, There's really just no pop in his game. Um, No urgency to it right now. Even just in the offensive zone, are you showcasing something? And it's interesting when you frame it against, you know, Cole Caulfield, Matt Boldy. And, you know, this is a phrase you and I like to use of, like, what's your trait? Like, yeah. What's the thing that you're going to rely on to win in the league? Mm-hmm. Now, Cole Caulfield 
hey, he might be a one-dimensional scorer. That dimension is a hell of a dimension. Yes. And Matt Boldy, he's having a successful career as well right now. And there's some speed. There's some um, some gumption to his game. Mm-hmm. And he's scoring goals as well. And for me, but Colson's trait was effort and defensive awareness. Yeah. Well, that's not really showing out right now. So... And it's not even like the the best trait to have when you're talking about a top ten player. You you want some offensive flair, but there was always that uh, responsible playmaking element to his game, and, and it's a far cry. Like we're talking about not even a guy that's not developing. We're talking about someone that's regressing right now. That's a concern. Anytime you see a prospect regressing, and it's not from a lack of effort, it's not from a lack of dedication, it's really all between the ears. And I've mentioned this before, but when that's the issue, it's impossible to try to nail down when and if this player is going to figure it out. And you can't be putting him in a position to try to figure that out at the NHL level, I don't think, right? So I think it's rough for Vasily Putkolzer right now in terms of trying to make this team, and it's going to be a, be a bit of an issue. Nuck in the six says, I typically don't care much about the preseason, but there's something to be concerned about. We need some young guys to step up and fill some holes, Hogs, Putkolzer, and Joshua, in order to have a chance to, to this year to make the playoffs. And I, I know he, he mentions he, you hope to see those guys kick down the door. I think Joshua, out of those three players now, he had a strong performance last game and was one of the better Canucks tonight. Even from an ana- analytics standpoint, it was really not a good night for anybody mm-hmm. outside of like Cole and Hironic. But the guy who had the best numbers was Dakota Joshua. And I would say he was the most active Canuck forward. Like He has now embraced the challenge thrown to him by the head coach. He had the huge hit on Olofsson in the first period coming downhill and just crushing him. Uh, he won a board battle against a couple of Kraken and created a scoring chance out of it. Uh, JT Miller set him up for a great scoring chance in the offensive zone. He's been active back checking. He was, you know, working hard on the PK even. He's had a very he had a very strong game tonight, but he's not a top six forward. Hoaglander was better against Edmonton, of course. But those guys, for as much as we talked about the back end, guys haven't seized opportunities. The guys who have chances in the top six haven't really seized them either. I think they've gotten good performances from guys who are fighting for third or fourth line positions. Like the Baines is now you see Joshua come in there. We mentioned Studnika and Oman. But Hoaglander has been decent. But put Coles in. Even PDG tonight was okay. That, you know, spot on Pedersen and Kuzmenko's wing until Mikheyev comes back. And the winger for Miller and Besser. Like nobody's really grabbing it yet either. No, and, and, and we're going to kind of do a deeper dive on, on that um, battle yeah. right now. But... We like to use a phrase of like, okay, what are you as a player and how consistent are you at that? Now, game one, alarming that we saw so little from Dakota Joshua. That's why he was a topic of conversation yeah. for a couple of days. Now, these last two games back to back, okay, if you're meant to be a physical player and someone that is meant to bring some energy to the lineup, go play that way. Blocks some shots yesterday, has a hit yesterday along the sideboards. Today, big one on Olafson, create something behind the net. That's what you want to see. At the same time, like he, he did have a moment. He was on for a goal against on the PK. And this is the thing. Like We talked about his PK on, on Sunday versus Calgary. Again, tonight. I understand that they need more guys to fulfill the roles and take away some minutes from a JT Miller and an Elias Pedersen on the PK. Yeah. Right now, for me, Dakota Joshua, I, I, I like the attempt to try to solve it and find another guy. I'm not sure that one's working. This audition for me is kind of running its course. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that too, and I think that's that's a bit of an issue here. And you know, there's there's a couple of big spots, you know, for, for the team where nobody's seizing it. We mentioned the top six forward spots. 
Not to mention, who's the partner for Quinn Hughes? No one sees that yet. We're looking at Cole McWard as potentially being a candidate. We mentioned the 6-7-8-D spot. That's also been underwhelming so far. Now, that doesn't mean all is bad everywhere. And we'll talk about some of the positives we did see from certain individual players. Like this one here from Jim, the energy guy. From what I could make out of the viewing courtesy of the Pirates, Joshua and Garland seemed very noticeable. I think they had some moments, Joshua, and we will talk about Connor Garland a bit as well. We thought he had a strong night, especially playing with Suter. We'll talk about that on the other side. Plus, Philip Heronik and Ian Cole, specifically Philip Heronik and how he looked. We'll get to that a lot more. Plus, we are going to hear from head coach Rick Tockett. Can I get a jokes per 60 in? Oh, of course, always. Uh, Bill from Buffalo wanted to text in. Just wanted the score to report tonight, boys. 49ers, 76. The 76 is 49. I thought it was a Norm McDonald joke. He says it's a Bill from Buffalo original. That's very good. I like it. I like it. All right. Uh, keep those thoughts, those thoughts coming into our text inbox. We'll get to more of those on the other side. And we'll hear from Rick Tockett and more from myself, Satyar Shah, and Bik Nazar on Sportsnet 650. Hi, this is Quinn Hughes, and you're listening to the home of the Canucks. You're listening to Vancouver Canucks Hockey on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Now more of the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Join the discussion. Text us at 650-650 or call us at 604-280-0650. This is the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. And Schultz down the right way, back into the slot, tip right on. Great save by Demko with the right pad off a deflection in front. And Beauvillier lifts it off the glass and out to center. Even at 33 years of age, Justin Schultz can jump into the rush and create something there. Good job by Thatcher Demko to move from left to right to make that save. Pierre-Edouard Belmar is 38. And he was involved in that as well. But here come the Kraken into the Vancouver zone. Pass to the right circle. Tolvin and scores! Ellie Tolvanen with his second of the third period extends the lead for Seattle. It's 3-1 with 4.06 remaining. And that is how the game ends. Seattle Kraken defeating the Vancouver Canucks remain winless in the preseason. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the home of your Canucks. Sportsnet 650. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. And keep your thoughts coming in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox. 650-650. A lot of questions and comments coming in. This one right off the top. Can you guys see Alvin making a trade is a question. I mean... Yes, I can see him making a trade. I don't think it would be a major trade because, as we've outlined extensively, not a ton of cap space around the National Hockey League. And as you saw with the Tanner Pearson trade, the Canucks had to move a draft pick, even though they took back Casey DeSmith in that trade, a third-round pick to make it happen. And that's just a relatively minor trade involving just over $5 million in total money between the two players. So something significant is going to cost a lot more, and it's going to be a lot harder to pull off. However... When it comes to filling out some depth spots, and given how these battles haven't been exactly convincing in many ways, I wouldn't be surprised if they do make some sort of depth move, whether it's waivers, whether it's a trader, or something along those lines. I could see them doing that. You know, you're trading a a guy who's on the fringes for another guy on somebody else's fringes who you think might be a better fit for your organization. We'll see what happens as well with uh, Spencer Martin tomorrow. Uh, He was obviously on waivers earlier today, so uh, if they also dip their toes in the waiver market as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We'll get to more of your text messages coming up in a few moments' time, but we do want to get the thoughts of the head coach, Rick Tockett. And, well, the Canucks lost 3-1. It wasn't as bad as 10-0. It wasn't as good as the loss they had in Edmonton against the Oilers last night in overtime. But here is the head coach after the latest defeat in Seattle. Yeah, 
just the wall work and the battles was we, we lost a lot of them tonight and, and Seattle looked really fast when when it when they did get the puck so we, um, I thought like there's what two or three rims early if we got it by the defense but we had a two on one kind of backs our forecheck up it's, it's preseason but we got it we got to be grittier on the walls and win those battles I mean you know guys like they don't Tanif, he's not a big guy, but he wins a lot of battles. So we need a little more effort uh, compete. I know it's early, but that's the message. And a couple of guys, I think, I don't want to say they're out of shape, but the pace of it um, maybe was a little too fast. So it's a learning lesson, I'll tell you that. One pair you liked coming in and you have to be happy with tonight was Cole and Heronic. What did you like from the two of them? Well, just Cole, even the PK, he just, he just cuts explodes in there and wins battles. He goes in there with vengeance on that PK there. That's the stuff you need to do, you know. Uh, but, yeah, that's why we got Kohler. Um, yeah, I thought Giuseppe worked his ass off. You know, he was uh, good for checking. You know, he's 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 trying to win a job. You know, he's not – I love guys like that. So, But, it's, it's you know, it's a little wake-up call for a couple guys. You know, this is a tough building to play, and you got to win some battles. Can't play at the end of your stick. Dem- yeah. Yeah. The first time we saw them as a pair yeah. in the preseason game, and it, it did kind of feel like when they were on the ice, it looked a little different for your team than Correct. They yeah. all the other minutes. Yeah, it's a good point. Well, they they, they, they stop cycles. Uh, they make a simple play, um, and then you get puck possession. So, uh, yeah, it was a good pair for us. With regards to the depth D in your lineup tonight, anyone – catch your eye or put you in a spot where you'll have to make a tough decision ahead of uh, Saturday's game? Yeah, I don't know. I have to look at some video. Um, you know, I, I, you know, a couple of guys were okay. Um, there was a little, we were a little, some guys were a little rusty. You know, like, had a tough time when, like, some of the passes and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, it's the first game for some of the guys who were a little rusty. Um, I still like to see us win some more battles, to be honest with you. And I know I know it's only. Uh, it's, I shouldn't say it's only preseason. You got to do. You got to have those staples early. You had uh, training camp, the scrimmage, and the first preseason game, and then on Tuesday it felt like uh, you, you made some pretty loud choices in terms of how you lined up the practice on Tuesday. I know you've talked a lot about preseason game four and preseason game six being important ones. Um, should we expect similarly? Allowed decisions over the next 48 hours coming out of this back-to-back. Yeah, I like that Teddy Almond um, and um, and Stanika line. They're they're good in Edmonton against a you know obviously a good like great hockey player. So I like that. You know they're fast. Um, they disrupt stuff and they had pretty good possession time. You've moved Joshua up to play with Garland and Suter. Garland and Suter in the third period. What did you want to see there? Well, I just thought that other line was a little, you know, we they were in our end a lot. I, we couldn't hold, on, you know, we couldn't hold on to some of the pucks, you know. Uh, so I just wanted to see. I think, and I thought Dakota was trying to you know, play a heavy game. I thought he won some battles down low, so bumped them up. He had some commentary about his game and, and obviously played him not just his game, but his fitness level in particular, and obviously played him in back-to-backs, which I, I'm sure was intentional. Um, through the body, seemed to play a pretty heavy game over the last 48 hours. What, what did you see overall from him? Yeah, I saw him moving his feet a little bit. But, you know, he didn't come in the greatest shape. You know, he's just okay. So uh, he's got to get himself in shape because he can be a big, big part of our team. We need some big guys that can play. Um, so I thought that he moved his feet, won some battles in the corner, spun it out. Um, you know, he, so that's a step in the right direction. He's had two games now where he's chipped away at his game. And, uh, you know, he 
stay consistent now. Is it important to you that having been challenged, sort of put in the B group, and uh, obviously your commentary that you got a response? Yeah, because he did. What, what I liked about him, he's he's talking to the trainers, the strength coach. Hey, I want to start working with him more. So he's he's being more proactive with that, and uh, he knows that where he has to get. So uh, yeah, that's that's a step in the right direction. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett after a 3-1 loss in Seattle against a Kraken. And he did not sound very uh, convinced either by the performance. And like this text message says here, Tockett doesn't want to say guys are out of shape, but the game was too fast for them? Question mark, exclamation point. Yeah, I mean, he mentioned it was the first game for a few guys. So you don't need to uh, figure, it doesn't take you too long to figure out who uh, were playing their first game. And he mentioned how Hironic and Cole played well. So it comes down to guys like, you know, JT and, and guys like Besser who seemed a little bit behind the play at times. Although, like you mentioned, it wasn't like they were terrible, but they weren't win a ton, winning a ton of battles. They weren't coming away with pucks consistently. And that's something the coach outlined. And he brought up yet again a few uh, sequences where uh, they could have got more from certain guys and they need to get into better shape. I don't think he feels like the fitness is quite up to par, maybe for the team in, entirely at this point. Sorry, you came to me faster than I thought. I'm not out of shape. You're not out of shape, uh, you're ready. Preseason was going a bit fast for me right there. Uh, no, it, honestly, it's especially for something that's valuable to Rick Tockett, him mentioning those plays that could have led to odd man rushes, two-on-ones. Um, you know, I know we joke a lot about wall guys, inside guys. You know, we, we mention it so much because it's important to the way Rick Tockett wants to play and the way designed by Patrick Alvin and uh, Jim Rutherford. They've empowered, they went and found their coach and they've empowered him to play his way. So like, that's the sort of stuff that you have to get right. And if he's not seeing that, it's going to get called out as much as we want to see like high flying hockey right now. Uh, this is uh, a, a, something that's going to be uh, a major mantra from Rick Tockett. And, and when it's not happening, it, it, it's, it's telling that that was one of the first things that he was mentioning that, those wall plays yeah. weren't there for them tonight. Yeah, wall plays, board battles. You're not you're not doing enough in those areas. And he, he always talks about how important those things are. Now, he gave credit, of course, to Dakota Joshua and how he played. But in terms of anybody else in the forward group, there were some moments he did mention, too. He, he liked kind of what he saw from Garland and Suter. And he did have to break up that line with Bavillier, he thought, because uh, the fourth line was getting hemmed in. So that's why he wanted to throw a little uh, Bavillier in there. So And we kind of mentioned during the intermission how Bavillier, Suter, and Garland were probably the Canucks' most consistent line. They had some good moments. They created some scoring chances, of course, scored the only goal. And that happened because Bavillier was forechecking strongly, created a turnover, got to puck the Suter, who fed uh, Garland to score the goal so there was a nice smart play plus a lot of effort that a few good I mean I mentioned there was one play where it's a small thing but especially in light of a performance like this pick I do think it bears repeating or at least mentioning here on the post game show when you saw them have trouble winning battles and you saw them have trouble creating um, zone time but also had trouble just getting the puck deep at times and having changes and be able to have some fluid hockey there was one sequence where that line Garland wins a board battle on the far wall inside his own blue line and then he takes he, he drives it all the way up to the red line chips it in Bavillier chases. This is at the end of their shift. They're about to change. Bavillier chases hard, forces the defense on the goal behind us, and that, then he peels off for a change. The guy's going to get set up, and they create a turnover in the neutral zone because they're set up and ready for Seattle coming back going the other way. They didn't have enough of those shifts, and that was a line that actually executed some of those shifts. It stands out more when the rest aren't doing it, but if you want to look at a, at a couple positives, that was about it, and I think that's all uh, Taka could have pointed to in terms of their forward group tonight. Yeah, for me, that was the best line tonight because even in the defensive zone, 
they kind of earned their takeaways. Uh, yeah. You know, we mentioned a couple of plays, you know, JT getting out of the zone and mismanaging the puck. I just felt like that line didn't um, take advantage or, or take control of moments. Um, it, it was a lot of passive play tonight. That's, that's why we highlighted a play like Archie Baines, you know, yeah. going shoulder to shoulder, knocking someone over, because that's winning a battle, right? And, and throughout the course of the evening, there just really wasn't enough of that. And maybe that uh, Suter Garland Beauvillier line is the one that kind of did the best this evening. Uh, th- that's the one to me that's okay. That's something that can carry over yeah. into October 11th. Yeah, and you saw how that Bluger, Oman, and Stanika line played. And if they can continue showing that, then maybe you feel like, okay, that's our bottom six kind of combo. And if the coach was obviously uh, glowing in his praise for Phil Giuseppe and how, you know, how he wins board battles and how hard he works. So you know the coach loves him. So maybe you feel like he's going to stick with Besser and Miller. And I think that could be the makings of your forward group right there, especially if Hoaglander can stick with Kuzmenko and Pedersen until Mikheyev comes back. I want to ask about PDG because he mentions, hey, that that effort. You know, the, the complaint I had on the Joshua play on the PK is he kind of gets in a collision and he slides into the boards and it's it's slow to get back yeah. into the main part of the play and then Tolvin gets the chance to bury that goal around Sheldon and drives. You know, PK, as much as we talk about awareness, stick positioning... It's effort, man. Yeah, it's it is attitude yeah. and it's commitment, it's desire, and it's effort. And that's a play. Like, I understand you're aggrieved that someone bumped into you. But you got to get up here in a hurry. You, you can't let Either the ref puts his arm up or he doesn't. Yeah. And, and you, you got to go to the whistle. Your, your effort is not incumbent upon yeah. the referee's decision. So you got to do that. And, you know, PDG just gets heaped upon praise time and time again of, hey, this guy's committed. Yeah. And you just see a natural energy. Is the overall burst there? All this sort of stuff. We can talk about that. But is, is, is that a role PDG can win? Uh, a depth PKer? I think he can because of the predictability and how he plays and he will give that effort. So I think that's how he could carve out not only a spot for himself in the roster, but also have a role in the PK. And even if he gets bumped down from that line and somebody else emerges, hopefully, then he not only can play in the bottom six, but now has a defined role on the PK. Mm-hmm. That's how he becomes more valuable. You need to have a role more than what you do with five on five, right? Yeah, and you start breaking down the the, the non-established you know established nine guys here. And trying to look, okay, who's who's finding a role? Who's who's yeah. going to be there on the opening night roster? Well, that's why even even with Dakota Joshua, the coach said positive things, but still was like he needs to be better. He mm-hmm. still wants to see more from him. Because right now, if we go, let's just for a moment say Hoaglander plays with Pedersen and Kuzmenko, and PDG stays with Miller and Besser, and Bavillier, Suter, and Garland are aligned, and we just mentioned Oman, uh, Bluger, Bluger Suter with Garland and Bavillier, Bluger with uh, Studnika and Oman, well, that's your 12 forwards. Mm-hmm. That means Dakota Joshua is your 13 forward. So if you're looking at what else can Dakota Joshua do, I think he still has two or three games to show he deserves to be in the opening night roster. He's going to make the team. Is he going to be on the opening night roster? And if we're going by the power ranks right now, if you want to take a quick look at it, I know you've been looking at kind of mm-hmm. uh, sizing up the battles here for these positions. I'd say those are the 12 forwards that probably start the season on opening night right now if nothing changes. Yeah, the, the ones that you can confidently say, um, hey, these guys are going to be there for sure with a bullet. There, there, there's no conversation. It's um, eight guys for sure. Right. Okay, I, I, I know people. Are like, hey, what about Nils Hoglander? Just for sure. Pedersen, Miller, Bluger, Suter, Kuzmenko, Besser, Garland, Beauvillier. Yeah, 
those are the for sure. Obviously, Mikheyev status, yeah, to be determined. But right now, early season, it's iffy. But after that, if you want to talk about the next group, it's Joshua, it's PDG, it's Hoaglander, it's Studnika. Um, put Coles in if you want to throw him, but it just feels like he's playing himself out of it. And then Nils Oman. So we're talking about five guys for four spots here. Someone's going to be left out. And yeah, it just feels like um, all those other guys have shown something, right? Like PDG just does PDG things. Just mm-hmm. it's, it's He's not flashy. And does Joshua big, bring a more physical element than PDG? Yes. Does Hoaglander bring more skill? Yes. Does Stadnika bring more speed? Yes. Does Oman... Uh, probably have a bit more like the 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 center capability yes. than than PDG. Yes. So everyone kind of beats him in a trade, but like who, who do you feel safest with? That's the thing. It's it he does the job even if you don't find it very attractive. You kind of need those guys that the, I've used the term tugboats before. He's kind of the tugboat. And he just seems to fit with JT Miller better than any of those other players. And so that could be his role, but right now you start going through it and you're not going to put Dakota Joshua with Pedersen. No. And Stadnika, he's bringing some energy. So it's like Joshua's competing with that group right now with uh, Stadnika and Oman. And right now, I, I think he's probably fifth among those five guys. Yeah. So I think he's just on the... I mean, he'll make the team. But again, like, is he getting in opening night? He wants to go through the roster the way we did. Because we can be critical of Hoaglander's play. But Hoaglander has still been better than any of those guys really and he's mm-hmm. still been able to create he he's still the coach is still positive about his game overall despite having some criticism about him but that's kind of where it's at on the forward group aspect uh we'll get to your reaction coming up in just a second here uh 650 650 i did like what i saw from philip Aronik mm-hmm. tonight and there's a real quality to his game it wasn't perfect, of course, right? And him and Ian Cole, Ian Cole took a took a penalty, a bad penalty, which led to the two on goal uh, in the third period. But outside of that, I thought he he had a strong game defensively, was physical, clear the net, strong on the PK as well. But Philip Peronic, there's a real quality to his game, Bick. Not only with um, you know how he moves the puck, how he can shoot the puck, and how he thinks the game, but also just with his physical defending, how good he is along the walls, how good he is at getting position and leaning on guys. And I don't mean just being physical; it's getting in the right positions. Well, the you phrase know, talking use was hey they break up cycles exactly and you know how, yeah it's it's how breaking up cycles isn't just about you know how physical you play it's also about how effective you are in those areas and philip heronic is a real sturdy player Vic. yeah uh, we got a text in the second intermission that we didn't get a chance to get to so we'll pose it to you now um nathan texted in what type of pass connects d do you compare heronic to so far we thought about this pretty extensively yeah when this it, question it's, was it's, posed to us it, it dominated our conversation in the third period. Yeah. And honestly, I can't think of a single defenseman who stylistically in terms of aesthetics mm-hmm. really remind me of him because he's, he's kind of unique with how he carries himself and plays and skates compared to other defensemen. But I think profile-wise, there's a couple that are pretty close. Now, the one that leapt out to me, um, now Nathan's suggestion was Dan Hamhuse. And I just think more natural mm. um, yeah, defensive but, ability. And also a bit more natural with his skating. Dan Hamhuse in his prime was just a beautiful mm-hmm. skater. Not that Heronik's a bad skater, but I think Hamhuse was a little bit different profile-wise, I'd say. The the one I come come to just because he, he, he fills so many buckets of attributes. Now, again, this isn't a perfect comp, but we're saying of Canucks comps. What about Kevin Bieksa? Yeah, righty defenseman. And and we're talking about something Philip Ronick, who's what six foot one ninety, uh, Bieksa six one one ninety seven, so a little larger, and you know mobility is there. 
Now, probably a little bit more offensive upside to uh, Philip Hronik. But BX still had a 40-point year. Uh, absolutely. 30-point had, you know, like he, he was a good puck mover. Absolutely. And I would say more of a aggressive upside to yeah. Kevin Bieksa. Tougher, yeah. There, there, there was gritty plays we're saying to uh, Hronik, but just the, the, the raw, vicious mentality. Yeah. Certainly, you'd give Kevin Bieksa the edge over a lot of people in the league. But that's really the only one I felt comfortably like. That's the closest one. I don't know if it's a great comp, but... That's really the closest one I can come to. Same. And again, it's not great, especially aesthetically. And like you mentioned, some differences. But in terms of, you're right, if you look at the checking different boxes of what they can do at a high level mm-hmm. or a good level, they're very similar in that type of regard. So I'd say that's the best. Somebody texted and said Oland. But the thing is, it's like, I, I, Oland, I, was, I, I do like that one. But like Oland's like six foot four, like yeah. two twenty. Yeah, it's different profile and like, too. And like Jovo would be an interesting one, but it's yeah. like you're talking about six three, two twenty. Yeah, but like Olin was also an absolute monster. Mm-hmm. Like you know, Heronik's not going to stand guys up the way Olin did. He's not going to be quite as physical. And like, as Olin like Edler, was. like Edler's a large yeah. dude. Like Canucks have had some guys. Like again, Sallow was the name we kind of bandied around, but like Sallow's a large guy. Yeah, and and so from a physical profile, maybe like on the ice stylistically they fit but from a physical profile th- th- there isn't a lot of fits there and like if you want to go deeper like a brett hedekin well, it's like man, different Hed- skaters Hedekin's like one of the best skaters you'll see yeah. it's not really there so it, it's honestly if you're just if you're providing a filter of just canucks demon like it's 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 hard to find one no there is and we'll see ultimately how good he can be in canucks colors but a solid preseason performance from him and ian cole tonight uh, a lot of reaction on the text inbox six fifty six fifty jokes per 60 always welcome and always coming in from some of the regulars too austin and langley can't blame me for this one i was at beer league and if you recall austin for langley was pretty much involved in every single canucks loss last season in one way or another, and never around for the wins, it seemed like. Uh, and also on the text inbox, Brandon and Poco, gee, if Bick or Sack get put on waivers, who'd actually pick them up? That's a question we've been posing to a lot of uh, Canucks players if they get put on waivers, especially on the back end. And I think it's a good question, Brandon. Not one I'm willing to answer, to be honest. I'm happy to speculate about <laughs> other people's job security, but not my own. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, James Aqualicum said Joe Winowski, Uh as we mentioned before, Heronic is similar to Dave Babich, except for the facial hair features. <laughs> That's another one. I thought about Babich a little bit too, but still a little bit different. But yeah, I mean, any any answer can make some level of sense uh, at this point. Uh, Mike and Willoughby says Christian Erhoff. Erhoff was a better skater, more swashbuckling. But I would say like Heronic's got way better defensive ability. Yes, he's better defensively. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I like this. I like the ideas though. I like the ideas. Uh, Anything else standing out to you in the text inbox here, Vic? Six fifty, six fifty. You know, there there are a lot to sort through. You'd imagine that uh, it's the preseason, but our texters are in full force this evening. I, I'm only going to speak my for myself in this trade or on this con- on this comment. But this one, uh, you guys were all worried about Heronic when the trade happened. Hmm. Told you guys the guys a stud best trade. Look, I was just confused about timing. I'm not concerned about the player, but the timing was the one that was like, all right, you just acquired the first round pick, you just moved it out. Um, but the player is uh, rather enticing, and I'm excited to see full go come October 11th uh, when the season gets underway. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised at the timing as well, but my my take initially also was, I mean, for all the talk about being surprised with the timing, we keep talking about acquiring top four defensemen mm-hmm. and righty top four defensemen. Here's a guy who's, you know, in his, in his mid to early 20s still available and with control, and the Canucks went and acquired him. I mean, it's, at the end of the world, that's never a bad thing, right? Like, I get the timing aspect of it, but you still went out and acquired, you know, a top four righty defenseman. I mean, we're sitting here 
here talk about how hard it is to find righty defensemen, mm-hmm. and then it seems like people get outraged anytime they trade for righty defensemen or draft righty defensemen. It's like we're sitting here having this conversation, and people are still getting mad about not taking Zach Benson over Tom Willander. And it's like I get it. Like Zach Benson's a super talented player, but it's like you guys have to get through your minds how hard it is to get righty defensemen. Like just look at, at the Canucks predicament right now. Like they're considering Cole McWard to play NHL games. Like are you kidding me? But he's a righty defenseman. Boy, if you're a kid who's a defenseman right now, switch to righty. I'm telling you. You have a future in the National Hockey League, potentially. <laughs> uh, some Yerke Lume shouts coming in as well um, for uh, trying to find a comp for yeah, Philip yeah. Peronic. I, I just feel like more, more silky D-man Lume. Yeah. <laughs> What are you laughing at? Uh, we're getting uh, we're getting told we have to pronounce Heronic differently. Heronic, Heronic, Heronic. Honestly, I usually do say Heronic. I, I just Heronic. Okay. It's preseason. Heronic. All right, my but, bad. My no, bad. We're gonna be better, man. We can't. Jeremy, this- thank you for the text. Thank you for calling us out. We can't set the standard for these players. Then you know us underperform. That's not fair. That's not right. <laughs> you can call us out. We deserve to get called out. Accountability ma- yeah. matters. We're, we're pro accountability. Yeah, on the we show. are. Um, all right. Uh, a lot of people are also texting in and saying. The Canucks have to send guys down. They have to pare the roster down. They have to, you know, really dial things in these final three preseason games. It's essentially going to happen on Saturday, and it will happen in the final preseason game. My question is for that game in Abbotsford, how many of the regulars do they ultimately send? I think we'll for sure. For sure. Feels like it's shaping up for a lot of... Uh... A lot of the average guys to play there. Familiar faces that the, the Abbotsford Canucks fans will see. Is there a chance, though... With what he's seen, Taka just says, screw it. Like, depending on what they do on Saturday, and says, you know what? Like, I, I need all three of these games here. Wow. Uh, it, it, look, if that happens, then, then we have bigger problems. Then suddenly <laughs> alarm bells are ringing. <laughs> yeah. But, hey, like, if Saturday really goes poorly, uh, is it out of the realm of possibility that we see that happen? No. But uh, honestly, like, if. I, I'd rather see like cooler heads prevail. They're like, hey, we got one more game still to work through all this. Yeah. Um, plus, you'll have two practice days at least uh, in between Saturday and Wednesday um, to work on some things. I'm with you. I think. I mean, if you have to, if they have to like go all out for the fi- final three preseason season games, you're burning way too much ahead of the season. And mm-hmm. if you have to burn that much to get ready for the season, that tells you you're so far behind, anyways, that you're probably not going to catch up. I'm with you. I think you got to stick with the plan. Again, I, I have the same concerns people have. Like We've been but, critical of the performance of what they need to do. But I think if you're looking at going full lineup three games, probably too much. But the next, but you have to have two dress rehearsals for sure. Like Saturday and, and the final preseason game, they certainly have to be like your full roster or at least close to it to what you want to try to do. I will say uh, we can only judge what's going to happen on Saturday. Yeah, And I, I do think you'll see a – like the, I, the, the, the home – Ice in preseason, to me, matters a great deal. It does. And you know what? Austin and Langley makes a good point. We'll close on this. And and don't worry. Once we get to the regular season, we'll do two-hour post-game oh, yeah. shows. You know, it's, it's preseason. We'll get to two-hour post-game shows once the regular season starts. But We're getting uh, in game shape, too. Austin says, remember when last year it was just preseason? feels like pressure is ramping up again. Not going to be good. I will say, last preseason, I was ringing the alarm bells like before preseason began because mm-hmm. of stuff I was hearing about training camp and how they weren't on the same page. And, you know, they weren't happy with what the coach was doing. And it was clear there was a disconnect. I mean, things were really bad once you started like digging into it. So I had concerns from day one last year. I was at training camp talking to people. It's not the same vibe around the team. I will say that. However, losing has been a very familiar thing for this team. Mm-hmm. 
and they have not done well when the losing has started early. So it's on my radar. I'm not saying I'm concerned, but it's three preseason games in. We saw this story before. Again, it's not the same circumstance as last year. I don't agree with it. It is there. But I understand why people are like, hey, you guys talked a big game. And now we're seeing a lot of same things. Like, when is this going to look a bit different? And I think that's going to have to start on Saturday. Why didn't I keep mentioning? Because we talked about the start of the season. People were like, is it 12 games? Is it 14 games? Is it the opening 20? I keep saying five, man. Like, right now, they haven't bought a lot of credit from fans. Yeah. We have people texting and be like, hey, remind me, what was the preseason like last year? And it was 2-3-2. Two, two. So you're, you're already 0-3 right now. Yeah. It's not or, better. Or, or, oh, two and one right now. So if they start zero oh, and two, when the first game was ten nothing, yeah. But if if they lose October eleventh, there's going to be immediate questions, and that's why I'm like, game five, you better be above five hundred because you don't want to be in this reality of like, hey, what's what's game two at home going to look like? Sat, lest we not forget. They booed at the home opener last yeah, year. They threw four jerseys the, on the ice. The, in the first easiest game. layup of the year <laughs> is home opener. That was a nasty game. And yeah. it was nasty. That was and the low point of the season to me, was the, okay. was the home opener last year. It was it was defeating. It <laughs> yeah, was like it was. wow, the, this the, is over already. The task is so <laughs> it's heavy. It's already done. Yeah. And so I'm just saying, like October twenty seventh, they come back from this road trip. Yeah. Game number seven. If they're like under five hundred I, I'm not convinced it's going to be a pretty sight. No, it's not. And, you know, and James asks, your take on Millsy tonight looking in shape didn't look great. And, and, and they weren't terrible. But the point, again, is like to what you mentioned, there isn't a lot of leeway right now. And you can't afford to get off to a bad start, especially when it's gone in your head already. We talk about breaking habits, but it's really hard to break habits and have different mentality when the same things keep happening. Mm-hmm. You got to stop that cycle at some point. And so far, you know, it's only preseason, but it's the same things happening, kind of, kind of, not quite exactly, but enough for you to be a little concerned. I get it. Like, I, I understand the consternation. It is, however, preseason. And hopefully the Canucks for the first time in a few years get better as the preseason goes on. Because... Let me just say, I, I don't want to go through a season when they come back from this road trip. Well, we're say, having the same discussion. I do not want this to happen. Okay, I want positive. Listen, I want to talk about a playoff run. I want to talk about you know players bouncing back this year, players emerging, this this team being competitive, uh, and I and I still hold on to some glimmers that that can be a possibility. Just don't suck that life out of us right away. I, I, I just been saying uh, we're, we're warming up the vocal cords for. Yes. For October 11th, right? Like we're 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 getting up to game shape too. We're working on it. We're working on it. All right. Hey, thanks to everybody listening and sending your thoughts and appreciate every single one of you. Uh, we can't wait to chat with you guys again coming up on Saturday. But more shows coming up tomorrow. Uh, Bick Nazar on the People Show. What do you have popping on Friday? Uh, Brett Festerling uh, will be joining Ooh. us. Just talking about NHL preseason in general. Uh, maybe some stories from his playing career. We'll hear from Brett as well on uh, the broadcast on Saturday uh, during the intermission. Uh, he'll be joining me, so uh, we'll chat with Brett Festerling. Big Six tomorrow Fantastic. as well. Uh, plenty of hijinks. Great Plus stuff. Plus our, our favorite new segment, Guys Naming Dudes. Ooh, Guys Naming Dudes. I like that segment. That's a fun segment. All right, I'll be back on Connect Central with Dan Riccio. The mailbag is coming up tomorrow. Plus, again, we're, we're back on Saturday. Thanks for you to listening. Thanks to Fast Eddie Gregory, our producer behind the boards. This has been the Connect Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650.